0: on I welcome you to another episode of Tree Actions, the human forestry podcast, where people of the trees talk about their experiences growing up, working in the human forest, tree people talking about tree things. And joining us today... Uh, and it's a bit of a unique show because uh, I'm on the road. There's a conference coming up, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But uh, I'm on location here with a fellow that's no stranger to the tree care industry. And today I want to welcome to the show John Ransom. Hey, John. Hey, doing? Tony?
1: Good. Oh, it's afternoon. Good afternoon. All good. And, yeah, welcome. Uh, Thanks for joining us. Yeah, and I'll
0: just, I'll just add, like uh, Johnny has a we're we're on location here at John's house. I'm in one room, John's in another room, and and he has a couple of wonderful canines, and uh, they do get a little barky at times. So, if any of you hear hear dogs in the background, it, it's uh, I, you know, I, I that would be an interesting topic. But I, I find a lot of arborists, people in the tree industry, are dog people and cat people and have pets. So, if you hear some dogs barking, well. That's just uh, Oakley and what's her? Ivy. Oakley and Ivy. <laughs> John's dogs. Oh, so, John, um, we always ask people a little bit about how it all got started and uh, and how um, how did you find your way into the human forest? Well, I would
2: have to say Super. right from birth. 'Cause I come from a little town in Vineland Station, which uh third generation fruit farming area. We had about fifty acres of peaches, pears, cherries, sweet cherries, sour cherries. So I when you look back at it, I'm I can see where I was connected kind of at a very young age. And as it related to trees, because that's who, that's that was our summer jobs every year was working on the farm and taking care of trees.
0: Really interesting, you know. And how did that like? W- what's your first kind of? memory as a kid of like when you like was it always was it was it like kind of oh, crap i got to work in the trees or did you find no right from the start trees all <clears throat> oh, right from the start i hated
2: pruning them especially the peach trees because there's there's such a size that you would end up having to walk around the tree quite frequently and you're doing i don't know 100 to 200 trees in a day i get so dizzy by the end of the day it was crazy so my mother would always say well just walk the opposite way around the other tree i'm like it doesn't work that way mother. I never did. But one of my uh one of the things I do remember uh, from my childhood um my my brothers and sisters would always play jokes on me. So we'd use we'd use extension ladders and things like that to reach some of the taller cherry trees and our first job was picking cherries. So that was first spring job there was on the farm. Um, And they would always steal the ladder out from underneath me, so I'd always have to figure out a way to get down. So that's kind of, really, I would say, the first um, type of climbing that I would have done when it came to trees and in trees. I distinctly remember riding a tree down or a branch down one time in the cherry orchard because I was out too far on a limb and the whole tree just kind of fell over. They were older cherry trees in the orchard but it but it scared the hell out of me and i just kind of wrote it down and jumped off when i hit the ground i thought it was kind of cool so but i always swore i'd never be a farmer but i ended up working with trees and went to school for trees i actually went to school for my goal was to be a conservation officer and i ended up getting connected into forestry, which led me into a boar culture at the end of the day.
0: Wow. So you, you uh, you know, I I've known you a long time and I don't, I, I, I we've never taken the time or I don't remember talking specifically about the, the orchard experiences like that. So uh, I guess uh, you yeah, had an yeah, yeah. Or a lesson in, in tree stability and, yeah, you could and say that. Uh, risk assessment already going all the way back. <laughs> right. So so you, you, you talked about getting into, uh, you know, going to school and so on and, and forestry being a, a part of uh, conservation. How did you end well, up actually? Once care? I finished
2: my two years at Sir Sanford Fleming College for forestry, I decided to go back for a third year. And and get my and and work through that. Or there was another option, and you always saw these these individuals walking around campus. They had a rope over their shoulder. <clears throat> they had these harnesses, and they were walking back and forth from their dorms and stuff like that. And I was always kind of interested, like, what are you guys doing? Like, ended up stopping and talking to one of the guys, and they're like, "Oh, we're in the bore culture program." I'm like, what is that? And they're like, oh, we're climbing trees and stuff. And at that point, I wasn't about to go work in a logging camp for two months, three months with a bunch of stinky old men. So I thought, Hey, this is another option to be able to look at and uh, work in in more of the municipality settings or, or the urban areas with and still work with trees, which I like to do. The urban forestry program was working at the same time, so you'd always see these guys walking around with ropes and harnesses down the streets, so like it was just an odd kind of look. <clears throat> and uh, and I ended up talking to one of them to find out what it was and all about. So then once once I figured out what it was, I went back to to school again to get the urban tree maintenance program that they offered.
0: Okay. And that was that and then how long the, before you worked then? In the arbors, Like a like at a company. <clears throat> I took
2: I took the urban tree in ninety six, so I started working hmm. in the summer of ninety six. Yeah.
0: Oh wow. And uh often here we've been starting to ask people about about the uh the equipment. And, and uh, you know, we, we've we had quite a few people that have been involved with climbing on on the show so far. And what was your, like, what was hot? And where was the industry at in the development of, you know, uh, the climbing systems, the harness Um The and, climbing and, and systems the were and um, and all that stuff. pretty standard for
2: that time. It, it was just a dynamic system. You either had the top line to choose from or the Blake Hitch. The Blake Hitch was kind of like the the new the new knot at the time. Um and then we had some most of the harnesses, you had your lanyard, you had your your work positioning and you had your harness. And it was pretty straightforward. That was that was that was as simple as it
0: was. So your first memory of working climbing what 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 sticks out for um, you as a <clears throat> I would say that standpoint.
2: The group of individuals that I was working with when I first started, there was a number of them that, you know, it really helped me along my career and and kind of started to lead me down the path of boar culture. And I've always tried through my entire career, trying to take pieces of each person I touch or each person that's touched me when it comes to um, the tree care industry and and making it my own or adding it to my to my repertoire of of whatever i'm doing at that time so um i guess the the person that i would say really affected my life would probably be one of my teachers just getting done um my arborist program at Sir sanford fleming and Lindsay, guy by the name of jim deech at the time this is the end of the program um everybody's we've had like a employer day where employers came out and watched me climb and at that point in time i still didn't have a job yet and he's like how can you not have a job yet i'm like well i already have a job to go back to it was driving trucks and for the farming industry and dropping off chemicals to the farmers to be able to spray their crops and he's like, how do you not have a job yet? I'm like, well, I, I, nobody really seemed interested in me. I was kind of shy back then a little bit as well, too. I'm a little farm kid from a little town. You don't have much interactions with different people or, or have that ability to interact with people. So <clears throat> he's like, here. He gave me a name and a location. And he said, on your way home, you're going to drive right past this place. Stop in. Talk to the guy there, I'm gonna give him a call, let him know you're coming. So and that happened, I I thought, what the heck? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hurt or lose anything by going to talk to this guy. So on my way home I just pulled into this long lane way, kinda of snuck back in between some some houses and some trees and knocked on the door and he was my first employer. And it was that was Maple Hill Tree Service. It was kind of no, it, was, it was kind of interesting because at the time, and okay. again, it's yeah. something that's helped mold me. I would say, um, from the talking with him at the beginning, and there was an opening. When I mean there was an opening, the reason there was an opening was because he had a fatality that happened. <clears throat> so they were going through a whole process of wow. of that happening and right. i was coming in in kind of a weird situation um but you know what it was one of the best choices I, one of my first best choices that i made in my life to be able to kind of stick with it and and go through down this path of a boar culture
0: wow so you you like right from the hop you were introduced to the the side that that, was in 96 that, you know that we 96. you know we came to learn much more about what year so it was that was 96 you said so it was
2: it, and you know, you know it, it wasn't things like that affect when, you right like yeah and i knew when i started climbing because of how physical it was that i didn't want to climb for my entire life i wanted to do something a little bit more But I needed the climbing aspect to get me to where I wanted to go or kind of my aspirations of what I wanted to do. And training was kind of those aspects back when I first started. And it was really that that kind of kicked me off to the fact that, you know what, if I can learn stuff and I can show people how they're showing me or teaching me and I can take that to different people, then I've done some good throughout my career. And that was kind of like the early start.
0: Yeah, wow. You know, because it was, you know, we haven't, it hasn't, I don't think we've yet talked about it with anyone on the podcast, but, you know, when a close colleague and friend, Peter Donzelli, was killed in a tree accident in upstate New York, I was in 2000. uh, Yeah. And, uh, you know, you... I mean, you were involved with training at that point, I think, but you know that was really, really put the whole significance on the map of the kind of fatalities that are occurring in the arborist industry and actually still are. But you know, you you were able to experience that, unfortunately, but yet it also a yeah, benefit to you because yeah, I remember I remember being at, it, it's dangerous. at
2: Kim Palmer's place in Connecticut, and we actually had the samples of, of Pete's tree. And we were looking at it, trying to figure out kind of where things broke and where <clears throat> the type of wood that he was working on and the lightning strike that came down. And it. it was it was pretty neat to be able to analytically kind of go through that process and kind of uh, as a group. Like it was just it was think like it was me, you, Ken, and there was only one or two other people there because we were in. I think we were out going to do another course somewhere else um, when we were start when we were with ArborMaster. So
1: yeah
2: so it was kind of it was again yeah. it was it was a friend in the industry and yeah. Yeah. Pete I always remember Pete at the bottom of the work climb before I went to ascend up into the tree and, and it was just he's just he was just that guy there right that that's the face that I remember at the bottom of the tree when climbing the internationals it's like here you go here's your setup where you go and where you go so it was it was hard to go through that a little bit. Then it reflects back to some of the, some of the, um, moments in your life before that. Right. So, sorry, we're getting a little deep here.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. No, no, that's all good. That's, uh, I think it's important. And, uh, you know, it, it kind of got me thinking about the the competition because I mean that's certainly been a passion of yours for a well long time. Well over ten years. Um, let's for see. Well over ten years, I think. I would it?
2: have to say I was probably still competing. The last time I won was in 2011. So yeah, fifteen years I was still competing. I enjoyed competing. I love competing. It was something that I strive for because I knew that it would be able to connect me with different people and to be able to take a different path outside of climbing or production climbing at that time. So I started training and and competing. My first competition was 2007. I didn't compete in 2006. My first one was in 2007. I placed second in the Ontario chapter. And then I won in ninety eight. That's when I first went to the internationals, and it was the first time I actually met you.
0: No, so ninety seven was my first, was first one. one. Yeah, ninety seven was your first one, not two thousand
2: seven. And then we met. We met. I won in ninety eight, which was my first one that I okay. yeah. that I won in Ontario, and we were in Birmingham, England, and I met. And I met you and a bunch of the Canadians. I didn't really know you that well, but it was like Danny LeBlanc took me around and he kind of like showed me who was who in the, in the playground and, and kind of worked through it. And it was, it was one of, it was an amazing experience from that. But even from there, it was when I won in 98 the Quebec chapter was looking for different things and, and the Atlantic chapter was trying to get people to come out to the climbing competitions. And they asked one time, like anybody interested in going out East to compete in their climbing competition? I'm like, yeah, anything that gets me more experience, more exposed, the more times I do it, the better I'm going to get at it. And I ended up going out there and they used me as a marketing tool to say, Hey, if we can get guys from Ontario to come all the way out here to compete, why can't you compete locally? So it was, it was pretty neat. And they, they used me in a way, in a good way when it came to, and it was the high it was the, it was the, the competition that we had there. It was in St. John's and it was the best attended uh, conference. They had tree climbing competition they had in, in all their history. And part of it was because they were using me as a marketing tool. And then I just ended up competing all across. I got a name. They said, hey, this John Ransom guy, it's like, he's like a super guy. And I ended up competing in uh, Quebec chapter. I ended up going back in the Atlantic chapter a couple more times. I always competed every year in the interior chapter. Um, I went out, out west to compete in uh, the BC Open um, and out in the prairies. And, that, and the prairies is really the first time – that I met you a little bit more down the road. Um, and you invited me out to, we're, we're climbing back in a bush. I can't remember where it is. It, it was back in some farmer's bush. Ken Palmer was there and he was coming out to help and, and support because you and him had a training course that was going on um, outside of there over the next few days. And it was, and you were like, oh, if you're going to be sticking around for a little while, you know what, watch, come check this out. And, and that was when I right. kind of started getting involved with the training aspect of it.
0: Wow. Yeah, that was been one of the first ArborMaster Master series we did in, in, in the West. And uh, so, you know, we always ask people. It, it seems like a lot of the people that we've been having on the show so far do also have not only part of the human forest as as a career in as a climber or otherwise, but also in education in in, in trees and teaching people about trees. So, how do you? When do you feel that really started for you as far as your your, your um, journey journey to the stage, so to speak?
2: Well, I think it was. I would have to say the first the first aspect would have been showing up at that farmer's field that you gave me an address to, to see what you and Ken were doing. Really. That was the first touch of seeing it in a group, seeing somebody do instructional huh. aspects of, of tree work. Um, yeah. We had Humber college and stuff at home, but I wasn't involved in that until a little bit later on where they have an apprenticeship program and arborist program. So I guess the first time would have been out in that field dropping poplars and and taking that course. Yep. Just yep. kinda hanging out, seeing what was going on. Right. How did yeah. it evolve for me? <clears throat> and then how did it evolve for you? Well, I think it it was you, Norm yeah. and Ken Palmer. And then you kind of we kind of talked and we did some stuff and you were coming out um, to Ontario to do some stuff and and we started just connecting more and more and the next year the climbing competitions connected again and it just through the climbing competitions and through just meeting up with each other because if I wasn't competing in the internationals I was there helping a lot of the time so I would still connect with the same people that were always in the in that kind of realm or that group of people so it was it was and the climbing competitions you just learn so much it was amazing but to to learn from you and ken and rip and norm st Jean, it was just like that that was where a lot of my training started was with with those three and norm as well when we were working a lot more in Canada, so it was really just you and Norm that were doing a lot of stuff, lot of stuff in Canada, and and that's where I would start to hook up and come out and you know what help out or do whatever was needed, carry bags, whatever. I was a bag man. I didn't do that at all because you know what, I had a conversation with Andrew Hordick one time. Yeah, we were getting on a plane. We were going to do a training seminar out in uh, Winnipeg. And we were both pretty new at it, and we were both pretty pretty eager to learn. And we were sitting on the plane together. He's like, oh, I don't know. I, like, I don't know if we should do this. I'm like, you know what, man? If if anything, you've saved one person already. And I said, that's yourself because you're willing to go and learn something new or to learn to try to try to learn something above and beyond what you already learned. So. If anything, you've already saved one person and hopefully we'll save a bunch more people down the road when it comes to working in trees and spreading that knowledge and, and providing them with choices. Wow. A lot of the companies and a lot of the people didn't have choices to be able to learn from, right? And Us traveling around and being able yeah. to do that and bring things back, I think was, to me anyways, that was to be able to do that and, and be that vessel to be able to do that. You know
0: what? I'll take that all day long. Yeah. You know, I know one part of your journey took you overseas, all the way to Singapore. How, like, like that? From that time on, that plane with Andrew. (laughs) Well, I think I, I Singapore, like everybody else was busy, and
2: I said yes. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that was. You know what? There's a there's a couple times in my life where I've got things that I I truly remember and 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 people I truly care about and and uh, worked with and Singapore was one of those trips. It was just like it was it was an amazing trip. I got to. And again, I, this was pretty young in my career, and it was with Arbor Master, and I got to go with Ken, or with Rip Tompkin out to Singapore to train the Singapore government people how to climb trees. It was it's pretty neat. And to go somewhere, like I said before, a little farm boy out of this little town of, of 500 people to be flying across the oceans and go over to Singapore to be able to do something like this, it, I was just like, I was in awe especially with rip I i watched rip climb before i even started climbing and saw him in salt lake city utah and i was just like man that's a pretty cool dude and next thing i know a few years later i'm hanging out on a plane with him in, in singapore now it wasn't always roses i'll tell you that much in singapore if you ever get the chance to talk to rip ask him about the ants the ants are nasty there man like they're <laughs> they're big ants they fall out of the tree, and they're climbing up and down the tree. We're sitting there watching, and you're standing there doing instruction, all of a sudden, a couple of them fall out of the tree right in the back of your neck and bite you. It's like, ow, oh, ow, oh, ow. Oh. You know, one of us would be, there. and everybody there that we're teaching, they just start laughing. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, the ants were pretty pretty uh yeah you knew a lot about the ants when you stood there even climbing like you had to watch where you put putting your hands and and rip wasn't at the stage yet where he'd let me do instructions up in the tree so he ended up doing them all it was more i was more for a ground support and he was i i watched him a few times grin and bear it he stuck his hand up into a branch union and there it was just full of ants biting them <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's good. You know, Johnny, you've you talked a couple of times about being the shy farm boy. You know, I for people that might listen to this that wonder how they could ever, you know, get to such a place like to be able to travel and train like you know, is the, are the opportunities still out there for people that want it? Is it No, still, Absolutely. Like, there's you know, how, there's how, all kinds of avenues and, and ways
2: like to be able to get there. Just my way, the way I took was a little bit um, out of the norm because it was through the climbing competitions. When, when I started climbing, I was <clears throat> I realized that I had a, a, a pretty nice skill set um, with only doing it very short period. A time, so it was. I I saw an avenue to be able to, you know what, get on to um, the podiums and get me recognized to be able to do those types of things, and it got me recognized. Don't, it, it, but in kind of a bad way when you when you look at it at first. But and what I mean by that is, I was only in the industry for two years before I won my first competition, in Ontario. And I talk about this in some of the training and stuff that I used to do. It was like they put me on a pedestal because I won a climbing competition. It's like, oh, you're the best in Ontario. It's like, yeah, but I don't know anything really. And so I either had to fake it or I had to learn more to be able to um, know what I was talking about and actually get respected through um, the climbing competitions and people that I talked to. So it was, so I, I decided to find people that were like minded like myself and to be able to really just kind of connect with them and be able to learn those types of things. And that's definitely where you came into play, like as a mentor and one of my best friends.
0: Well, thanks, Johnny. <laughs> and, uh, and likewise. Uh, you know, we were we were in your office earlier today, and and uh, I was looking at some of your medals. And you know, I I, I was at that call, yeah, but I right. don't remember the two thousand four. You placed third in the work climb in Pittsburgh, correct? <laughs> well, it was an interesting day. Now, um, tell everybody what you told me about that day. I, I was I was never
2: a bride; I was always kind of a bridesmaid, I guess you could kind of say. I was always just out of the top five. I was just on the cusp, but that day was one of the one of my most proudest days for myself as an individual, um, with the work climb, I believe it was a big Sycamore or a London plane. I think it was a Sycamore. I was the first one to go. I draw first. I'm like, Oh, are you kidding me? Like seriously? First international work climb. I'm like, okay. So I got up in to the top of the tree. And the one thing I said, I get, you got nothing to lose dude. Just go as fast as you can and as smooth as you can. And I ended up, setting the time for the day and my time stood all day long until the last two competitors of course mark chisholm and Beth strausser <laughs> so i ended up placing third. <laughs> and for those of you who don't know them they they are amazing individuals and, and they're amazing climbers definitely people that i i looked up to throughout my climbing careers and And being able to talk with them and and climb with them it was pretty amazing
0: so johnny you know i remember like as a climber and even as an instructor like you 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 were solid you know and and you weren't necessarily always the first one. You, I guess, I wouldn't call you an early adopter. Like it was like you needed to see something before you were going to gonna integrate it into your system or into your climbing methods. And I'm curious your thoughts on like partly just the progression of climbing, like and and you know how it like what how how things change, like how modernization or new tools and equipment. Changed your climbing and then how you integrated them and then where things are at now, like how you feel about the current uh, almost like it's like it's almost weekly or yearly, you know things are new things are coming out so what was the first thing that really made you change how you climbed what well at that time uh foot walking was how do you feel was things are going the, down in that direction
2: the main way to be able to send up a new tree outside of um body thrusting um, and getting up into the tree however you could um so that was that was one technique that i took away from um once I got out of school and started actually working in the industry. And I had people around me that that used those types of techniques, which was <clears throat> which was good because it just ended up evolving the way I climbed and the way I ascended into trees. And there's that time period kind of once I got out of school to probably ten to Seven to ten years. There was a lot of changes in the abhor culture industry. Like, there was different harnesses. There was different methods to be able to get up. There was single. There was some single line stuff that was starting to come into play too. Not like it is today, but there was the the beginnings of of some of that um, style of climbing that was was coming in. Um, and it was it was pretty neat. It was it was. It changed all the time and trying to stay up and current with things. And again, I, I have to go back to the climbing competitions, being able to watch some of the top climbers at the international and the tricks they pulled out of their, their bags to be able to stand out and to be able to um, do different things. Types of climbing styles again it's taking it was taking pieces of those and watching somebody do it and then take it back and try and figure out what they did or how they did it um and it was it was pretty neat in that way because that was really the only way you could differentiate yourself as one of those top climbers was in the masters to be able to pull out some kind of neat things and to be able to give the crowd a little bit of a show on the ground as well too, but it really distinguished yourself with the judges. And I took those back and and when I competed in Ontario, I would you every year I went back, I would use somebody else's I would use something that somebody used at the International Masters to win my masters. So it was it was pretty neat. But we got to use some different things and things changed a little bit and it was Nothing like it is now. It's crazy now. Like I'm, I'm so out of the loop now when it comes to some of the gear and some of the equipment. It just, it, and it amazes me. I was at the Ontario climb competition back in September, this year or 2022, and just the amount of different gear and things there are just it's a lot more complex. <laughs> it was, it was a relatively simple time when I was doing it. And now it's a lot more complex, I would say, <clears throat> which is good on one hand, but at the same time, on the other hand, you you got to really pay attention to what you're doing. And obviously I understand too, that those are some more elite people. It's not, that's not everyday work ethics that a lot of people do, but, um, but it does definitely make your life a lot easier. Some of the new gear and equipment, um, and climbing.
0: What do you, what do you think as far as like new climbers, new people coming in? Like, like you, we're seeing a you know whole generation almost that that doesn't know anything but SRS, you know, and they don't even know how to climb MRS necessarily. Like it's there's that's happening sometimes. How do you, you know. What's your thoughts on, like, if, if someone getting into it or someone learning the, the ropes, so to speak, like, is it all important? Is, is, is the old stuff that's important? My views on that right now would be the fact that there's a gap.
2: You need to understand how things work and you need to go back to the basics and work back through them and get to a point where you're using some of the more advanced stuff. Now I think people jump in with a lot of the YouTube videos and different things like that. You can figure out how it works, but you may not understand how it works or why it works the way it works. And I think there's, a, there's a definitely a gap with the training aspect of it in the sense that people don't know how to do anything other than what they have or are using at that point in time. Where back in the day, we would have choices. we We could do it single line we could do dynamic we could do uh static foot locking there's there's different you had different avenues but you understood how each one of them worked where now i think it's more narrow it's like here here's your setup away you go but you don't understand how you got there or or even where you're going
0: right Yeah, I think that that uh, that is possibly happening for sure. You know, and uh, you know, it, it's 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 an interesting topic because you know you can look at it from the perspective. You know, it could be argued, I suppose, that well, why don't we go back and teach how to climb on a rope harness with 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 Manila if we want to go right back to basics? Sure. You know. You know when we talk about basics we talk about it from the reference of our career and when we started climbing that's the basics but you know when we started climbing the basics for the guys our age now was was manila rope and three strand three strand manila or or uh sizzle or or even you know just starting but, on one or two options of synthetic rope so um you know it almost like the basics maybe is is moving rope versus stationary rope but uh you know how well, What's your view on when that you talk happened, about as as where bad, we were know, and, and where we
2: started, and but we were always taught the history. Whether you were taught to actually how to use it, there was still that piece that was part of the history and you understood the before and then the current and then the after or where you could potentially go. So <clears throat> I, think, I think some of... And this is just my personal opinion. I think some of it is the fact that people just start in one section, but don't remember. They start current and they don't remember how we got to the current process. But it was always there in the background, right? You always had that history. You always had that. (laughs) I remember (laughs) it was that climbing competition when we were um, in Alberta. And the Albertans, for some, some reason, I don't know, they wouldn't let the Easterners, they wouldn't let him climb the Masters. So they said, you did good today, and, but we're not going to let you climb the Masters, which was fine with me. I was okay with that. But I got to watch the Masters, and Frank Chips is one of his earlier climbs, and it, it just proves a point in the fact that he climbed up, got into the tree, and forgot his split tail right. on the right. ground. And he couldn't figure out how to be able to tie uh, an inline knot to be able to do a taut line or a blade yeah. hitch because he, he was missing that piece of equipment. And I think a lot of people, if they're missing that one piece of equipment, and everything comes to a standstill for them, and they just can't proceed. Um, I think that's that's what I'm talking about—the history part of it—to be able to know how right. to get yourself out of situations. You know what? I did the same thing. You know, my last time I won in 2011, I forgot my hitch on the ground, and I'm like, "Oh, now what I do?" Is, well, I tied an inline blade hitch, and away yeah. I went, and I still ended up winning. So it's it was it was a pretty <clears throat> it was a pretty neat aspect, and everybody knew it too. They like knew it forgot on the ground but but that's the difference between knowing and not knowing and frank wasn't at that point yet of knowing and he was taught by great people but they didn't give him kind of the history lesson behind it no fault to frank he's an amazing climber (laughs) love that
0: dude yeah no i uh I, I I I remember that I was at that competition, and I remember watching you tie in after you ascended in the in the masters. And I'm looking, at him and he's like, "He's tying in conventional. What's he doing?" And then I realized, oh, the bugger forgot his tail on the ground. It's in the bag, and you did not even skip a beat. Like you just you acted like you planned it all along, mate And and it was hilarious because and yeah, you you just. You just tie it in like as if you planned the whole thing. And I'm thinking, look at that. There's Johnny just going like really so old quite, school because yeah. nobody had done a master's in a conventional closed uh, dynamic system or closed moving rope system like that. It had been, I mean, they had, there was a lot of people climbing on it. I think there still are maybe, but they weren't in the masters <laughs> necessarily. But uh, yeah, it makes a good point. I do remember that quite well. It was a real interesting uh, turn of events. Um so, uh, Johnny, just as far as, uh, you know, training and your life in the trees, like, I mean, I mean, you even, you've, you've even moved on from it. So maybe like you, you've, uh, made the transition. Like you, you went from, like you were an active trainer with us for what, four or five years and then moved back kind of into the tree realm into municipal and now back into private. So, How's that journey been? Like, because you had to put a full career if you if you if you go back to the beginning. I mean, if I give a synopsis, I think you started at like you know a private company, you went to a training yeah. company, then yeah, you went was, to a municipality. It's been a pretty full career. you know what?
2: I've been blessed with uh, the individuals I've got to be with and and hang out with, and and be able to do things. Um, but again, it all. Uh, my entire career, even after training, was based on training. It was based on how you taught me and how <clears throat> Rip and Ken and Thor and, ne- uh, and uh, Norm and the other Norm, and Tony, he was part of that too, being able to work as groups and, and individuals and to be able to be like-minded and positive thinking and outgoing it to me it was you know what everybody asks you like you know what have, have you had your perfect dream job i said i've already had my perfect dream job and that was training that i've i've had a full I'm full when it comes to being able to have my perfect dream job and, and training was it. Now I had to move on to life and be able to do other things to be able to support my family and to be able to uh, get more knowledge in different aspects. And it's funny how it comes right back around because now even at Davy Tree where I'm working now, I've started doing more of the tr- some of the training stuff because that was my background. That was my uh, – what I was – very good at I, th- I feel anyways um, through a lot of so that, that training aspect it's good and I'm back again a little bit I'm doing some videos and, and I'm working with trainers and being able to teach them how to speak in groups and stuff like that everything that you taught me and it's it's amazing to be able to to come back around to it and find that in a position where I didn't think I'd be able to have that joy again. So it's it's been it's been pretty amazing. Like each day is just a blessing on top of a blessing. Every time I go out, so and really it comes from a couple people in my life that that we went down certain roads with, and like I said Jim Deach was one of them, and then my next one would be you to be able to do the things that you did and teach me what you taught me because I was a, I was a, that quiet little kid like anybody that knows me knows that I'm not an outgoing speaker, not like yourself. You're, you're flamboyant all the time where I'm, I'm I said I, I'm just as happy to sit in the back of the bar, have a beer by myself, but you taught me that the power to be able to to speak and to be able to deliver things so that people could use that and take that away that quiet person sitting in the back of the bar nobody would ever listen to that person but you to be able to get me to find my voice and the way you taught us how to teach and and how to um express ourselves it was it was pretty amazing and it was it it was life-changing for me for sure
0: I remember the uh, the the, the uh, instructor intensive in Florida. The, second, was, one. the no second one, I think it was the second one because Nine I was scared ones. as hell. And I, I, you day. know what? At that and, uh, point in
2: time, I was like, "I'm done, man. Like, I'm not doing this, and I'm I'm leaving." I was packing my bags, and I'm like, "I'm out of here."
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know.
2: I I don't know what made me stay, but I was definitely like, I was on my way (laughs) out. Like, um, but I think, I think that was where I really understood or started to understand the power that I could have if I changed how I did things to be more impactful to an individual, to get them to learn it better, how, and how they learned and understanding how people learn, um, and I still use it today. I did a seminar down at uh Ditz down in, in Kent, Ohio for the Davy group. Just being able to present it and, and and they're like, What why are you doing certain things? And I awesome. explained why why make them raise their hands. That's I explained awesome. the fluctuations of your voices and, and being able to to do all those different types of things get them to stand up. I made I made them do a lasso. <laughs> I made them do a cowboy. They made them all stand up and, wow. and swing the swing the lasso around so because our presentation was two <laughs> hours long, right? So it was like needed some breaks and stuff in between and being able to do that, right? So it was it was pretty neat. So right. it's definitely it and how we did that and how how yeah. we all started to teach that way, it 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 was amazing to go from what how we were doing things early to um, how that impacted us as trainers when uh, when we started with Arborcan and with Neil Thiessen coming in and teaching us those types of things, it was it was pretty neat. Hmm.
1: Those trainers, those trainer sessions around 2008 and 2009 were really interesting because I think. The timing was such that, you know, we were sort of this interconnected group. I'd known you briefly, Johnny, and, you know, Dwayne, I'd known for a couple of years. And, but we, it, it brought us all together and it really kind of, for me, and I think for a lot of people too, it, 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 took that disparate group of individuals and gave us kind of a single unified way to, to train, you know, and it, and it really the ripples from that spread out, you know, like a lot. And there's been a lot of people in, inside, outside the organization that, you know, I, I'll, I'll go see a presentation now on arboriculture and I watch him run the formula, you know, that we were working on in 2008, 2009. And I know that that ripple is carried out, but it was just a really interesting time right then. You know, as a, a friend of Dwayne and ours, Amanda would say, you know, universal timing. It was really, we were all, I wouldn't say we were all kind of wandering around lost in the wilderness, but we're all kind of just wandering around sort of connected. You know, some of us were doing this, some of us were doing that and we wanted to do better, but, we didn't quite know how to do better. We were all pretty good technicians. We never lacked for skill, you know. And that's not to pat ourselves in the back, but we were a pretty good group of arborists. You know, we we knew the work. What we didn't know is how to explain the work to other people very well. And uh and then uh, yeah, once we got that that you know from that two thousand eight two thousand nine, I think really kind of solidified it into a into almost a culture. I would say you know it was really really interesting how that how that worked out that way. And, and those bonds still exist to this day.
0: Yeah. It, it was, it was, a, it's so fun to have been a part of it and, and continues to be, you know, really like there's the, the connections, there's several hundred people out there that have, you know, had that experience and uh, that, that are, Still connected, it, it, you know, and where friendships were forged and and uh, careers connected, and that continued to this day. And that's really what it's all about, you know. I I really think that that's why I use the analogy of the human forest. It, uh, you know, one of our young instructors, you know, made the comment that he's he's a sapling growing up amongst the, some of the giants, so to speak. It was just an analogy made, you know, but. It really is, when you think about it, it's, it's like that in the cycle of life that does exist, you know, like and even the fallen timber that is is giving back to our forest floor and how our roots connect and they're like our experiences and our knowledge. And if we have the willingness to share and we make fertile ground and create the environment that allows for those connections to happen, we all will flourish and we can share that energy and strength. And that, that's that's basically what I mean when I'm talking about the human forest and, and what, a you know, kind of the whole concept of this podcast was to just listen to people talk about those connections and those experiences and and, and share you know just continue the web of connection through this medium so uh, it's uh it's just really exciting and it's cool to be a part of it and um you know johnny what would be if you you know the kind of the key things like some that like you know, that, that really stand out for you as far as, as connections that were made and that made a real impact on you and the human forest and your, your time being part of the human forest?
2: Well, it, it goes back to just what you were talking about, like knowing that, that I had a little hand in part of the beginning and to be able to touch as many people as I've been able to interact with and to be able to share information stories and get connected um it's it's amazing you still see people nowadays every once in a while and it's like oh remember this and you go back to those stories and you go back to those those moments in time and it's just it's simply amazing like um i i all i can say for myself is that i'm i'm at a point where you know what? Every day is is just whipped cream on top of the Sunday.
0: What would be your highlights for how the human force has impacted your your life?
2: It it if it affected it through my entire career. Like it was <clears throat> knowing that I was had a small part in some of the beginning of the training, um, and being able to touch. People lives in different ways, and the amount of people. When you go back to think about how many people I've taught over the last 20 years, I tried to go back and figure it out one time, and it was just too many. It was it was well over 20,000 people that I've probably connected with um, in the boriculture industry through either Humber College or through training with um, Nats training with Boreal Culture Canada, training with uh, Arbor Master. It just, just, it's amazing how those connections happen. And and I've got a number of friends that I know that if if I if I needed a place to stay and I was somewhere close to them, you know what? They'd open their door to me, no different than I would to them if they were in in my my hometown. Right. So those connections are just they're always there doesn't matter how long you've been out of the scene doesn't matter how long you've you haven't have been training those connections last forever and no different than tree roots connecting with one another different trees under the ground and taking substance from everybody it just it just continues to
0: You know, Johnny, you're talking about how it's affected your life or your career, but what about personally, like even family life and, you know, like just in general on that? Like, from your personal side of things, do you feel there's been an impact there also? Well, I believe
2: that the people that impact my life, the people I let into my life, impacted it the most. And the people that I allowed into my life were positive people and, and, goal-oriented in the same direction as myself. And, yeah, it, it overflows into my everyday life, like how I get up in the morning, how positive I am. And you know what? It's going to be a good day. Like there's, It's no different. And I believe that's from the other people, the people that I've had in my life and directed me in, in the way that I went personally and professionally.
0: Yeah. Yeah, interesting. I, I uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. You know, there, there, there is a a lot of connection to, you know, and and we don't think you know, it's it's I, you know, I, the, I, maybe it's part of getting older and so on. But I think more these days about how how I am living and how you know the choices I've made in life have have go on to affect me now, and you know, even I guess the symbolism of trees, you know. And and how there's almost lessons in the trees themselves and in how trees grow and how forests are and how to live our own life. You know, like one example for me is is just uh trees respond slowly to stimulus. You know, if I that's one example right there, you know, that I can take from trees that 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 uh that's a good one. Like don't react so quickly to to things that 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 stimulate me or cause me to respond, you know, that um but is there any, any way that you, uh, I remember one time and I just thought of this, but you made a reference to, um, you know, when you think of you or it was something when, when do you remember that talking about, you know, when, if we don't see it for a long time or even, you know, long after you pass the way to remember you by.
2: No, like it, what were we talking about? we were talking about,
0: well, you know, you're getting back to the 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 hard thing to talk about in this industry: fatalities and passing away, and uh, you know, and when I go, guys, it, it was a it was a touching moment. Like we were having a meaningful talk about the hard stuff. And do uh, you remember that?
2: Uh, no, I don't. Sorry. <laughs>
0: That's okay. It was it was something to the effect about when you look at the trees, or when you uh, you can think of me. But it was something that we're. Well,
2: I, I guess you. In, I've never believed in in headstones or gravestones or anything like that. I always believed in auras and and people and and living things. Um, so, you know what? When I'm gone, and I hope people will still remember me as far as what I did and how I how I did things, and just in the in the sense that you know I tried to be the best person I could every single day that I walked on this earth and you know what if you want to talk to me you don't need to go talk to a stone you can look up in the sky and talk to the stars you can look at the trees and the wind blowing through your hair I'm there so I'm always there
0: always will be there right you know I I um... I, I'd, I'd like to just, we haven't, it hasn't come up yet. I don't think Tony with anyone else yet in the, in the podcast series, but uh, I know that you and Bruce were really close and, uh, and, and not only like you and Bruce, but then your wives became closely and anyone. And, and, uh, you know, maybe we could finish off this, our session, our time together here for this particular podcast and we'd be happy to do another is, uh, is how is how do you feel that, You know, Bruce. He was definitely he was he was a giant in the forest. He was a tall tree. You know, he he's fallen now. His tree, but he's 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 still very much a part of the forest floor, part of our forest, part of the what's feeding us all still. And and maybe, you know, how is how is that example of his your your connection to him personally and professionally? How that carries over for you today?
2: Well. Professionally, you know what, Bruce Smith is, I just, I still think about him a lot. Anytime I'm in Florida, I go and visit him. And the trees that we worked in and worked around, be able to reconnect, I guess you could say. Um, Haven't been in a while, need to go again. But at the end of the day, again, it's just... I go back to that positive individual and the choices and the people I choose to be around. He was one of them as well, too. And he was, no matter through everything that he was going through, personally and professionally, he was just always a positive person. And we went through some stuff with him. And now he's he's helping the younger generation in the forest grow tall and strong.
1: Yeah. I think, uh, I think of Bruce often too, Johnny, like uh, oftentimes I find myself doing the old, what would Bruce do situation? (laughs) You know, you find yourself like, oh my, what would Bruce do here? And, uh, and I think of him often and, uh, and it's cool. I, you know, I, I miss having him around, but I also realize that he's still here and, you know, just some of his, I mean, every time I step up, you know, and, and before a group of people to speak, I think of so many lessons that that bruce taught me at trainer and then and then later on just working with them doing training and stuff and they're all just so valuable um you know just like I said just a giant and then, you know he's, he really started the idea gave us the terminology of the ripples and and how life travels through and stuff and it was it was you know i i've written whole series you know short stories and things based on those ideas and stuff so you know <laughs>
2: yeah that you've talked about it a couple of times through the podcast and, and the ripples and I, the day Bruce brought that out to us as a group it just it just hit everybody like square in the forehead and just went oh, yeah now I get it <laughs> and and the power and the impact of 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 the ripples and it's it's just been amazing to be able to see the impact and and how people grow through those impacts of each individual, not necessarily myself, but everybody that was on the team and how those things just kept cascading and kept getting better and, and changing. Like that's, that's such an amazing part of it as well, too. It's like, uh, you know what, you know, I'm not doing this anymore, but the, the foundation that I helped lay just helped so many more people and the industry itself. And, and, hopefully personally and professionally at the end of the day, but the ripples, it's, it's the ripples that, that make that happen.
1: Yeah. You know, shortly after Bruce passed on, um, you know, I thought maybe that, you know, it was that something had, had passed on with him and, but I now know that the ripples are still there. They're just a little harder to see and hear, I think, because of all the, all the static from social media and and all that stuff that happens you know there's there's more more trainers in the arbor industry than ever some really good some you know doing okay you know but i think the ripples are still there you just have to listen for them a little harder i think look a little harder i think they used to be a little more obvious because there wasn't as much you know static but they're mm-hmm. still there there's still still very much there um, and they pop up at at unsuspected times